Welcome to the Lead Defend Podcast, a show designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build up your faith as you engage a changing culture. Now, here are your hosts. Hey, this is Ryan Brock. We're here with Lead Defend. Uh, we're so excited to have Gordon Fort with us. Uh, Gordon, tell us about yourself. You work with the International Mission Board um, as an ambassador to the president, right? Yeah, that's um, right. What does it mean to be an ambassador to the that's president rather than for yeah, the president? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, basically, you know, for me, the the the, the, the word ambassador, uh, it's, it's in your job description any other task is assigned. Oh, okay. You know, so it's like whatever Utility he wants you fielding. to do, and he doesn't want to do. Go. That's that. That's what I get to do. All so right. I basically I represent the organization in various forums uh, internationally and uh, around the U.S. Yeah, and the organization is the International Mission Board. Some of you may have heard it as the IMB. Uh, tell us what is the IMB. So here, you know, 175 years ago this group of people got together and they said, hey, if we could figure out a way to work together as churches, we could probably accomplish more together than we can by ourselves. Makes sense. And so, yeah, the cooperative program was the name of what they put together, which was basically figuring out a way that they could, under an umbrella of shared theology, say, okay, if you believe these essentials, we're going to work together. But outside of those essentials, if we're different, it's okay. We're still able to work together. Mm-hmm. So they define, like, kind of what are the core beliefs? If you're within that, we'll work together. And that group became the Southern Baptist Convention. And so the thing that drove them was they said, we will cooperate. And they wrote it this way. We will cooperate for one sacred purpose. Mm-hmm. One sacred Extend purpose. the gospel to the heathen. That's what they call the lost people in those days. Uh, a lot of college students are heathen today in my mind, but, uh, you know, you guys. Uh, so, you know, that, that was what brought them together. And so the International Mission Board is the overseas entity that handles that on behalf of the 46,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. So, if, if, you know, if you're in a Southern Baptist church, you feel called to missions, there's a process of screening you, you know, to make sure you're qualified. And then if you are then they're supporting you so that you can go overseas and do what God's called you to do. And you uh, answered God's call in a similar way. So you served for over a decade in Africa. Tell us just a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, I was actually born and raised in Africa to missionary parents. I was exposed to it at an early age. But when I was 15 years old, uh, the Lord just really spoke to me about my purpose in life. I don't know. It was just as clear as a bell. You know, He called me to missions. And so I said, okay, well... um, you know, my job, I've got this conviction. My job is to get prepared. It's God's job to use me. And if you're listening to the podcast, if there's something I could really encourage you about, it's that when you're wanting God to use your life, then you have a role to play. You have to be equipped and prepared. God's not going to do all that for you. You don't just go like through eight, nine years, do what you want and say, okay, now God, I'm ready for you to use me. So getting equipped and prepared is part of that journey. And so we did that. And since I was 15 years old, began to say, God, whatever, wherever you want me to go, when the time's right, you let me know. Hmm. And so along the way, I went on to college and seminary. And when I was in seminary, then I began to get a sense of, okay, here's kind of the direction. And my wife, Leanne, and I met. She was a return journeyman from serving two years in Africa. And hmm. 
so our journeyman program, some of you have heard about this, but you know, our journeyman, if you're single, you don't get to date for two years. <laughs> and so after two years, she's pretty desperate. You know, wow. I, I saw her at debriefing there you go. and anything looked good, man. And I, I, I was trying to present myself in the best light possible. And anyway, so I asked her out on a date, and we did, and, and found out that, you know, separately, God had called us both to the same country. Wow, cool. And she asked me, if she said, where do you feel called to go? And I said, she said, she said I guess Zimbabwe, where you're born. I said, <laughs> no, actually, it's this little bitty country called Botswana. And I mean, her mouth about fell up. And she, wow. And girl, she didn't say, oh, yeah, I'm called to the, go there. I mean, she just, she kept very quiet about it because... She was a journeyman in South Africa, but had visited Botswana, the country. Mm -hmm. And she said when she visited there and met the missionaries, she told them, I believe one day I'll be back here. Wow. Hmm. And I had felt this sense of call from a friend of mine who had been there building a hangar for MAF airplanes. And he said, Gordon, I know you feel called to missions, but when you get ready to come, you ought to keep this place in mind. It's called Maun, Botswana. It's this remote village in the north, in the wilderness. Wow. And I was born and raised in wilderness, so I love that. Sure. And uh, sure enough, that's where we ended up. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And so for over a decade, 11 years, um, with a young family uh, there in, in Botswana, and so what what was your work? So we, we, uh, we went over to the north of the country, living in a village called Maun. It was about 240, 50 miles from the nearest paved road across the Kalahari Desert. And then from the paved road to the nearest town was about another 160 miles. So wow. we ended up in a very remote place, but on the southern tip of the Okavango Delta, 10,000 square miles of pristine uh, delta and wilderness area with these scattered tribes. We were in the Batawana tribe. And my job was to, to live amongst the Batawana with my wife and family. We, we went there without kids, and when we left, we had four. <laughs> and uh, so my job was to get out into these villages, get around the, de the Delta area into these uh, remote places, find the needs, communicate the gospel, see people born again, and then begin to find a process to disciple them and start churches that, you know, that would hold them together. So yeah. that's what I did for 11 years. Wow. That, that's incredible. Now, we were talking right before we, we jumped on here um, about how you have a passion for prayer mm. and uh, just seeing prayer movements across uh, our nation and, and in people's individual lives. Um, but we were talking about how we weren't, none of us, taught the importance and value of prayer or, or taught how to pray well yeah, and all yeah. those things. And so... Yeah. How did your prayer life change in, in oh, missions? Oh, man, that is such a great question. You know, uh, when we were in the village of Botswana up there, I tell you, I was doing the best I knew to do. I mean, I'm getting out there. And there was one season when we got there, we were having a drought. And a drought in the desert is really bad. And, uh, I mean, wildlife was just dying out in the wilderness. And, you know, the village was just full of the stench of dead animals, and mm -hmm. it was really bad. And I was going across to, to my little place where in the morning I'd have my quiet time, and I, it's like the Lord said, look out there, what do you see? And I'm looking at this desolate landscape. I mean, there's not a leaf on the tree. The goats are eating plastic bags. I, wow. mean, I mean, it's just horrible. Mm. And the smell of dead animals in the air, and I'm just looking at this and thinking about it, and then the Holy Spirit goes... 
that's what you look like to me. Wow. And I mean, it just busted me because wow. I knew it was true. And the thing was, I was working so hard, man. I was getting up early, going out, finding the needs that people had in the drought because there was hunger and suffering. And I'm going dark 30, coming home at night, dog tired, trying yeah. to help people. And so here I am doing work for God and feeling like I'm doing all I know to do. And God doesn't see it that way. Hmm. And so this is where really there was a change in my prayer life. Wow. Because I realized that everything we do has to flow out of a spiritual foundation. And the role of prayer is to keep our hearts tuned to the heart of God mm -hmm. so that we can communicate with him and he with us and stay on track with his, with his will for our life. Right. And the honest truth, if you know y'all who are listening to this, I'd never been taught how to pray. Mm -hmm. And my parents were praying people. Prayer was important to them. They were missionaries. We had prayer when I went to bed at night. Mom or dad would pray with us. We had prayer around the dining room table for meals, heard prayer at church. So, I mean, it's not like they didn't care about it. It's just when I became a follower of Christ, no one said, let me teach you how to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what your experience has been if you're listening to this in this arena, but... I would guess that the majority of you have never really had anybody who's come alongside of you to say, let me just help you in this area of your life. Let me teach you how to pray effectively. And so that's kind of what happened to me hmm. in, that, in that part of my missionary journey. And then for about five years after I came back to the States to serve in our home office in Richmond, I was responsible to lead an initiative in mobilizing prayer for the nations and for awakening in North America. And, and honestly, we started a school of prayer for all nations, but that five years, I would say I was taken into a school of prayer myself. Wow. God took me into a school of prayer to teach me some principles from the Word that relate to this arena that I'd never known before. And it's not mm -hmm. like I'm some expert, some guy, some journalist was doing a story and wanted to say, Gordon Ford, professor of prayer. <laughs> and I'm like, nah. I said, there's only one professor I can think of. I think his name was Jesus. Wow. And the rest of us, we're just kind of like, we're learning. And yeah. that's that, that's how I take it. And so that was my pilgrimage. Uh, yeah, that's you, a little freeing, though, to say, you know, Jesus is the expert. I, I'm right. still learning. Yeah, Gordon just had to settle for ambassador to the president. <laughs> yeah, so, I'll take ambassador to the president. Hey, that's right. I'll. So where we know the Bible puts an emphasis on prayer. Where do you think the de-emphasis on prayer in our churches and our lives have come from? And then the second wow. question I have is, what are some tips that maybe you learned or that you were giving to other missionaries in that time? You were leaving that emphasis on prayer. So where did the de-emphasis come from, and what are some tips to re-emphasize well, it in our lives? What a great question. The de-emphasis, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier, and I don't know. My experience, so, you know, I've traveled across the United States, universities, colleges. I've spoken in chapels, been in churches, associations, state conventions, and, and I'm just saying my observation, so take it for that. This is just Gordon Ford's observation. As I go to church or go to these places, I just have had this feeling we've lost the doctrine and the practice of prayer. We, we, it's not like we don't care. It's not like it's not important. But if, if you ask me, do we believe that prayer is essential, mm -hmm. I'd say we're not living like it. We're mm -hmm. not living like it. I don't feel like we're living like it. So... 
Where do we de-emphasize it? That's a that's a question I'd love to have an answer to. If any of you guys ever do any research projects, I'd love for you to go back and say, where did the church lose the doctrine and the practice of prayer? Because New Testament, Book of Acts, early chapters, read it and you see Acts 1, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Hmm. Acts 2, they devoted themselves, new believers added, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. First problems in the church, uh, you know, they were arguing over, are our widows getting fed as well as the, you know, the Greeks said, are our widows getting as fed as well as the Jewish widows? And they said, mm-hmm. no. So they said, okay, who's going to solve the problem? And so they bring it to the, the apostles. Apostles said, no, no, no. It's not appropriate for us to neglect this in order to do that. And yeah. it's not that it wasn't important because look who they picked to do it. Seven men full of faith, full wow. of the Holy Spirit, solve the problem. Why? So they could do what? Teach the word and pray. pray. So there was mm-hmm. our kind of model. So if someone could tell us, please, where did we in America lose that model? Because I don't know if you guys are listening or, or would say, oh, my church is a house of prayer. Hmm. Well, to be a house of prayer is not a, it's not a plaque on the door of the church. Uh, to be a house of prayer means your church is filled with people who are devoted to prayer, that wow. that's the description. So, how did we lose that? I don't I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm I would really love to know, but we've been robbed. I, I'm yeah. telling you, and I I know that the adversary, he don't he doesn't want us doing this. Right. I mean, I know who ultimately is behind it is our adversary Satan. He's robbed the church yeah. of this because it's a powerful weapon. He wants to take it away from us. Yeah. So that's where he lost his tips. I'll tell you, I, my experience has been you learn by doing. Hmm. So you want to pray better, pray hmm. more. You want to pray better, pray more. Because when you pray more, you start learning. But hmm. certainly getting into the Word and finding clear instruction from the Scripture. You don't have to pray about stuff God's already clearly told you to do. Wow. You know, pray the it's Word. powerful. You know. So, anyway. Wow. Yeah, I wonder if, because at, at the end of the Acts 2 passage you mentioned, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And then after that, it says, and God was adding to them daily. And I wonder if part of our lack of dependence on prayer is our increasing dependence on pragmatism and becoming so programmatic hmm. that we've we've lost the emphasis on, on the spiritual power for growth, and we've shifted it to pragmatism. So... Um, so I'm not sure if that's where it comes from or if it's if it's something else. But, you know, as I think of, of things that have helped in my own prayer life, one of the things that also helped was praying the Bible, looking at the Bible, but also having a relationship with someone else who did have a strong prayer life. At any point for you, was there someone that came along that, that maybe discipled you in prayer or helped um, lead you to learn a deeper level of prayer? When I, when I was in college, uh, I started to pastor a little rural country church when, when I was a junior. And so I was in a pilgrimage of trying to be a pastor, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And so, first of all, we started having a lot of young people coming and people getting saved. And so I'm like, well, hey, if people get saved, they need to be discipled. Mm-hmm. Well, no one had ever discipled me, so I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. i got to find some books. So there was a couple of books that were helpful to me on on discipleship. And so I was kind of being discipled by the material I was reading while I was then trying to disciple the new believers in the church. And, and, and as a part of that, prayer was, a, was like, wait a minute, 
what do we do about this one? How do we teach this? How do wow. we learn this? Mm-hmm. And so what happened was, so I, I said, well, first of all, we ought to at least have a prayer meeting. You know, let's have a prayer meeting. But not like, you know, some that I've been to. So <laughs> this, this was like, hey, we need to learn how to do this. So let's, let's have a prayer meeting and learn together. Yeah. And so out of this kind of prayer meeting, we're, we're kind of like learning as we go along. Let's look at the scripture, as you said. Read, we pray the word. Hey, that's a good idea. Look at the Psalms. There are some great prayers in right. there. You know, look at John 15. Here's what Jesus prayed for the church. Right. So, you know, the Lord's Prayer. So it's like, let, let's just see what's in here. And I mean, there's other prayers. So, uh, so we said, well, let's just pray what they prayed and, mm-hmm. and let's see how that goes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then like pray to the Lord of the harvest, thrust laborers into the fields. Like, okay. He told us pray for laborers, so let's pray. Let's do that. Let's pray for more laborers. We're praying for laborers locally, praying for laborers internationally. So let's just pray for that. And so as we read it in the Word, we just we said let's let's try that. And then out of that, we just had some incredible stuff, you know, that happened. So earlier today, I speak. So if you're listening to this, you 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 didn't hear this, but. I mean, one of the early times that we were like, God answers prayer, it really works, was we had this little girl uh, who's in church. She raises her hand. I said, who has a prayer request? We're going to pray now. So this little girl, Elizabeth, raised her hand, and her mom is sitting next to her, Darlene, and she tries to pull her hand down because she's like, what is she, what is she going to say? You know, <laughs> she's like six or seven years old. What, you know? And so, so I said, no, no, Darlene, let, let Elizabeth give her prayer request. So Elizabeth goes, Brother Gordon, could we pray for Fluffy? Well, I'm like, who's Fluffy? Well, Fluffy was her white snowy cat. And so I'm kind of up there like, ah. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you guys have ever prayed for cats or you're listening if you've ever prayed for animals, but I had not prayed for a cat before. So I'm like, what do I do here? So I just think, okay, well, God, you know, he loves little children. Some of the children come unto me. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'll pray for Fluffy. So I, you know, I prayed some kind of very simple, you know, Lord, you know, where Fluffy is. That's true. He does, right? He's a, he's a sovereign. He knows where Fluffy is. I'm like, you know where Fluffy is. And, you know, Fluffy's lost or something's happened and, and, and he can't find his way. But would you just help Fluffy come home? Yeah. So, I mean, it was like that. So, so we, we, we wrap up the service, had some other prayer time, wrap up, they head home. And, and we're on a party line, uh, so y'all, some of y'all may not know what a party line is, but this is where <laughs> people actually had to share a phone line, you know, so like more than one person's on this phone. And so uh, we're on a party line, and about 20 minutes after church, the party line rings at the church where I lived. I was staying in a room back in the back of the church, and we convert a Sunday school room with a bed. And the party, the party line rings, and so I answer it. It's Darlene. This is little Elizabeth's mom. And Darlene is like so excited. She said, Brother Gordon, you're not going to believe it. You know, I, I, when I drove the truck home and went turned down the lane to go to the house, said when, a, when the pickup lights hit the front porch, Fluffy sitting at the door. Wow. <laughs> well, I, you know, that little girl is like, God answer prayer. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're going to be hard-pressed, you know, for her mama not to believe that too. Convince her otherwise. Because of the, of the timing of it, yeah. you know. So people are like, okay, now wait a minute. So when we're sharing these, and so the great encouragement to prayer is testimony, right? Yeah. I mean, so if God answers your prayer about your cat, well, whoa, hey, yeah, maybe mine, you know. So this is how we were learning. We're just yeah. kind of learning as we go along, and we get these testimonies of answered prayer like, mm. you can't make it up. Yeah, I mean, the guy who had his two brain bulls, 
and he couldn't get them loaded. And he's old, you know, he's a cattleman. And he and he comes to church Sunday morning, never said two words in church. And he starts say, I want to tell y'all something happened to me yesterday. And he gets all choked up, and no one had ever seen this guy shed a tear. And so Blevins Bundick gets up and says, Yesterday at Blue Norther, this is when the front's coming in, uh-huh. temperatures can just plummet. And he says, I got down on my knees in the cow pen. I could not load them Bramer bulls for anything. And he said, uh, so I just, I, I was all by myself, didn't know what to do. So I just got down on my knees in the cow pen and I said, dear Lord, I need some help today. If I'm going to get home before dark, I got to get these bulls loaded and I can't do it by myself. And I just sure could use your help. And so he said, he gets up. And the first bull is going to load in the back, the back chute to the back of the trailer. But he said the side chute was the hard one. And he said, you know, before every time that bull would get near there, he'd just turn and run the other way. And I'm just telling you, he, he shared this in church. He said, I walked towards that second bull after I loaded the first one. He said he walked around the pen, turned backwards. And as I walked him to him, he backed up the ramp into the, into the trailer. Wow. And everyone in the church, a guy, I mean, he is teared up. And everyone in the church knows, as anyone of you have handled cows before, that just, a cow does not back up no. a ramp. No way. But they all knew. Mm. This guy, it's not some big tall tail. They'd never seen this guy get choked up. And Blevins was choked up and crying. And I, there wasn't a dry eye in the church. And everybody knew God did something unusual right there. Wow. He answered that guy's prayer. Well, now what kind of what's that going to do when a guy shares that kind of testimony? A lot of those rural folks, it's like you pray about anything. Yeah. There are well, a lot more folks bending down in their cow pens that next week, <laughs> weren't there? And you know, it's like pray about anything. Yeah. Pump brakes on your well. Pray. Ask God to help you. Yeah. You know, whatever the need is, it's like nothing. Like so, if he cares about Fluffy. Cares about Brahma bulls loading up, and and you know when the fronts come, that means prayer is just a part of everyday life. That's what he was teaching us. Yeah. Wow. It's just there's nothing, you know, when God says in everything by prayer. I mean, it's like so. What's what doesn't that include? Right. And so when I say, how do you grow in prayer? Pray more. Pray more and pray pray about more and, you know. So yeah, this is a big. It's a big arena for me to, to, to share because it really has become a deep conviction in my heart. And as I look at our churches, and especially you students, you know, I, I'll tell you my, my worry, my concern, if there's anything I'd say, if you're, if you're you know, in school or you know, in this Gen Z, Gen... It's Gen Z now, Gen yeah. Z. Well, they're middle school through college, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Can we start all over again with an A? I don't know where, where we go we to. Going I, think, you guys I think Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha. And I only know that because we were talking I'm about it that. with the folks that were writing up. So I think after Gen Z, it goes to Gen Alpha. Wow. Well, so, I think. you know, I, I, was tell, I, was, you know, I was telling these brothers earlier, you know, my concern about your generation, you have great passion. Uh, this, your generation, you guys, you, you have a passion for God. You want your life to count. You're willing to lay it all down and, and, and do whatever. You're, it's like... You've looked at this, quote, American dream of success, and you're like, I, if that's it, I don't want it. I want my life to count. And here's my concern for you, is that you have grown up um, in a generation where you've been exposed to everything through the mm-hmm. Internet, media, 
you know, from the time you're little, you know, violence, um, pornography, uh, illicit sex, uh, immorality. Uh, it's just like, it's just rampant and television, media, social media, everything is just pumped into your head. And there's, when you were little, there were no filters. No one was like filtering this stuff. And you've grown up with this. And it's impacted the way you think. And, hmm. and what the Bible says is, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And our adversary, Satan, from the time you're born, he's been, trying to get, mm-hmm. he's been trying to get control of the way you think. So he's pumped this stuff into your little brain. And now that you're getting older, it's there, and it's seared your conscience. Wow. And your conscience is kind of what gives you guidance as to right and wrong. So here's what I've seen. I've talked to a lot of students about this, and they tell me their struggles. And, and their problem has been, you know, I, I just didn't think it was wrong. Mm. I just, I just kind of felt like, hey, if I cohabit with my girlfriend, big deal. You know, we all are doing that. You know, if I have sex with my boyfriend, nobody cares about that. We all are doing that. Who, who made up these rules anyway? Uh, and, and then this, this sense of cheating at school is like, ah, nah, everyone cheats, no big deal. So it's your conscience that concerns me because your conscience is not the law of right and wrong. It's not the final decider, not in my life, not in your life. It's the Word of God that's the standard. Hmm. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, when you come to, to how you live, how you behave, your values and your actions, make sure you're well grounded on the Word of God. And I believe like what we are talking about earlier about prayer, it'll help you stay on, on track. Wow. Gordon, I so appreciate you uh, just taking time out. If you had a final word for these young folks, what, what would it be? God has a plan for your life. Man, he's not going to waste it. He knows what he wants to do with you. He knows everything about you. And if you want to be used, he'll use you. If you want your life to count, he wants to take you at your word. And so I want to encourage you. God is up to something in the world today unprecedented in Christian history. It's not my rhetoric. Sometimes we hear people talk, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, You know, I've been around the world and seen a lot of stuff. And right now something's going on that we've never seen in Christian history, not since the first century. God is, from around the world, he's calling Christians from many, many, many different nationalities who are believers, and he's putting in their heart a burden to preach the gospel or take the gospel to places it's never been before. Mm-hmm. And it's unprecedented. So South Korea sending out missionaries, Cuba sending out missionaries, Brazil historically sending out missionaries. But now this is global. The Taiwanese church sending out missionaries. The Indonesian church, underground, Muslim country, they're sending out missionaries. Wow. Africa, Nigeria sending out missionaries. I was in West Africa. They formed a mission sending agency, the Francophone Nations. They're going to send wow. out missionaries. Philippines, six different denominations joining together, form a mission sending board. They're going to send out missionaries. Mm. There's something stirring in the church in the world today about about carrying the gospel where it's never been. To our researchers, 3,184 unreached, unengaged people, meaning, as far as we know, they've never had a witness. Mm-hmm. Well, around 2033 will be the anniversary of the Great Commission. Yeah. And it seems like God is stirring your generation to join Him in this effort. So I'm just telling you, you're living. 
I think one of the most exciting times in history. So if you're listening to this and you say, man, I want my life to count, then I'll just tell you, God's got a good plan for you. Wow. Wow. Well, this has been Lead Defend Podcast, and Lead Defend Conference is always around the corner, so go to leaddefend.org for more information. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. To hear more episodes from the Lead Defend crew, visit absc.org slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, rate and review us on your favorite podcast listening site. Want to learn more information about the next Lead Defend conference? Visit leaddefend.org. 